There we're beginning here on the bottom of Kufta Vav Amud Bed, two lines from the bottom, Tara Banan. Vahibin to Aaron, Vayom Moshe. Parshazua Sala Koreshbarhu Simaniot Milumalo Udamato. Shem made in front of the Pasha Vayim bin Soa, and after the Pasha Vayim bin Soa, certain markings. Lamar Shein Zemikumat, it tells us it's not its place. This is what's known otherwise as the backwards, upside down nun, that separate out Pasha Vayim bin Soa in the middle of Parshad Balotcha. Rabbi Omer, Lomen Hashem Huzeh. That's not the reason. El Ibnei Shesefer Chashuvu Bifneatzmol. Because it's an independent Sefer Torah. Keman Azla Hadam Arab. Who does the statement of Amar Bishmol Bar Nachmani, Amar Bionatan, Rolei, Chatzva Mudah Shiva, that they worried out, they hewed seven pillars. Elu Shiva Sifrei Torah. These are the seven Sifrei Torah. Keman, who's like Rabbi? It's like Rabbi, who says that there are actually seven Sifrei Torah, not Chamisha Chumshei Torah, like we think. Rather, there are seven Sifrei Torah. The reason to divide the Torah up into seven books instead of five books might have to do with the difference of Bamidbar before Vayib bin Tzora and Bamidbar after Vayib bin Tzora. Everything leading up to Vayib bin Tzora and Bamidbar is the ideal and preferable way that Hashem wanted things to go. That Ben Etzul here are standing about to enter into Eretz Yisrael. It's given the instructions and now they are traveling. Everything is happening as planned. From after Vayib bin Tzora for the remainder of Bamidbar, the story is about everything that goes wrong. What should have happened and didn't happen. Because of all the sins, it starts with the complaining. And then one after the next, we have problematic scenarios between Bnei and Moshe Rabbeinu. And we finally have the breakdown with the Miraglim, in which Bnei then gets stuck in the Midbar. The reason to separate them out is that by Hebin Aron sits in the middle here as a reminder, a bookmark, to tell us... This is what should have happened. This was the next stage for it. This is the next thing that's going to happen is that the Aron is going to travel and B'nai Israel are going to go and they're going to follow the Aron and it's going to take out their enemies. After that, the latter half of Bamidbar is why that didn't happen. And that might be a small explanation as to why it's considered to be seven Sifrei Torah, not five Sifrei Torah. Matana the polygalei the rabbi, who's Tana that argues on rabbi, Rabbi Shimon Gamliel, Tanya, Rabbi Shimon Gamliel, Meratida, Parshazut, Aker Mikan, Bitekatev, Bim Koma. This parsha of Ayim and so is going to be removed from where it is now, currently, and moved to the place where it should have been, but should have been originally. So then why is it sitting here? If it's not in place, it seems to be it should have been by the Degalim when they talked about the encampment and the journeys of B'nai Israel. This is out of place. So why is it here? Separate between the first difficulties to the second difficulties. The second difficulties or problem that arose, what are they? So that's the pasuk that is found immediately after Vayib and Tzoharom, which is Vayiham Kimit Onanim Rabos Hashem. People begin to complain. And then we have Vayishma Hashem Vayicharapo. Hashem gets angry. Vativar Bamesh Hashem. Fire Hashem comes. Consumes at the edge of the Machaneh. And everything settles down. Problem is, Purnat Rishona. What is the first Puranot that we're speaking about here? Mara says, They traveled from Har Hashem. They started to distance themselves from Hashem. So, where's the placement, the proper placement of Ebin Soa? It should have been where either the travels beforehand or in the beginning of Bamidbar. But they all the Degalim. The problem with it is twofold. One is, what is the Paranut that we're speaking about over here? That Vayisumi Har Hashem. And 
That's a pasuk that's immediately preceding They traveled from Harashem three days and Aaron is in front of them three days ahead of them to see where they should settle and the Anan was with them during the daytime while they traveled to beforehand to talk about the Masa Machanot and also talks about leaving of that he leaves them goes back to his homeland and then it says that they traveled what's so difficult what was so bad about them traveling over here Rashi over here says the regards to what was the problem it says three days after they left they all of a sudden complain about the meat and to speak about a Kodesh Baruch later on in the Parsha after Vahim and Soa, right after they get into trouble with the Aish, when they were complaining, they say, That's Tavira. And right afterwards, Vasuf Abu Tava. Immediately afterwards, that they all of a sudden have some Tava. Who will feed us? Remember all the good stuff we used to eat in Mitzrayim, at Kshuim, at Abdichim, at Ratzir, at Salim, at Ashumim. Had enough of this month stuff. It's too much. So Rashi connects between the pasuk beforehand, which is Vayisumi Arashem Derech Shlosh Yamim, to the Paranut that are found afterwards. They all of a sudden wanted some basar Hitavu Tava. And Rashi claims that they started already to have this problem early on, and that is what it means. Vesaru Machre Hashem. What Rashi does over here is something interesting. He takes a pasuk that's beforehand, which is Vayisu Mehar Hashem Derech Shlosh Yamim, says it's connected to a problem that happens after Vayibin Zoharon. We first have the Eish that comes and consumes amongst the Am. And then we have another problem, which is they start complaining about eating Basar. But those two are in a row. They're juxtaposed. They're one after another. Vayim and Tzoron is before both of them. So Rashi says, well, what's said before, Vayisum, Mehar Hashem, Derech Shloshed Yamim, here the Gemara connects it to Mehachorei Hashem. Not Mehar Hashem, but rather read it, Mehachorei Hashem, that they left Hashem. They already began to have these feelings before. As soon as they started traveling, they had these feelings. And they only get expressed later on when hitavu tava, when they start to have this desire for the meat. Rashi takes something that's really after Vayibin Zoron and tries to shift the problem to before Vayibin Zoron in order to separate between the two Praniyot, to say one started before and one is afterwards. Right away, Tosafot and the Ramban of the Torah jump on Rashi's explanation. It says, They already were asking beforehand. Doesn't make any sense. How could he say that? How could you pull this beforehand? It doesn't seem to say anything of the sort. And the Ramban himself also in the Torah says, he quotes Rashi, Rashi Allah Torah says, Like it's in our Kimara over here. Shon Rashi. He says, Rashi never explains what it's separating between. You look before Vayim Tzaron, there's not a single problem that's mentioned. Where did this come from? Like Shona Gemara Sham, he quotes our Gemara, the Ramban, Puranut Shniya Vayim Am Kitmit Oninim, Puranut Rishona Dichtiv Vayisum Arashem, Vama Rabbi Chanina Malamei Chesaru Meacharei Hashem, which is our Gemara here. Katav Arav Vipeirushav Sham, Rashi Ala Gemara writes, Toch Shloshet Yamim Lasam Itavu Tava Asaf Suf, Litraim Ala Basar Kedim Lorub Vayim That desire for the meat already started beforehand. Three days later, it came to fruition, but it started beforehand. I don't know where he got this from. This is unbelievable. So the Ramban criticizes Rashi the same way that Tosafot is over here. I don't understand how Rashi came up with this explanation. First of all, 
Vayim Kimatonim is right after Vayim and Soron. That's written first. And then only afterwards do you have a statement of Shalatava Shnia. How come the Gemara terms Shalatava is the Rishona, the first Paranut, and Vayim Kimatonim is the second Paranut? It's not the second, that's the first. And Tava is the second one. So Ulai, so he tries to answer for Rashi, Savar Rav, they're written out of order. And the remnants of that is from Mehar Hashem. From the time they left Harashem, that's what they were thinking about doing. And interrupted, wrote the second, and then went back to the first one, which is connected to Mehar Hashem. That's what Ramban tries. Still, he says, I can't get there. I don't feel right about what Rashi's saying. And then he explains his over. Same thing that Tosafot says over here. They quote the Midrash of Hashem. The problem was that they were running away from Har Sinai. They spent all this time getting the laws, being involved in Torah, finding out all the new things that they were going to have to engage in and follow. And now all of a sudden they find out they have to leave Hashem. They should have been reluctant to leave. It was an experience where they got the Torah. It would have been something they should have wanted to tarry. Yeah, when it says, they're out of there in a shot. Versus our parsha, right after they come out of Kriyat Suf after Az Yashir, or then it says, Vayasa Moshe. Moshe has to push the people to leave. Why does he have to push them to leave? Because they're sitting there collecting from the booty of Yom Suf, and they don't want to leave. Yet over here, when they say to leave, they're ready to go without any problems. They don't need to be pushed at all. Amru, Shema Yibeh, V'yitain Lanu Mitzvot. They say, let's out of here. Maybe we'll get more mitzvot. Maybe the Torah will get bigger if we stay here. Ezehu v'yisum ha'rashem. Shaya machshvatam l'siyat z'mamisham. They want to take themselves out of here. Mipnei shu ha'rashem. V'zehu puranut ha'rishonah. That's the first problem. V'yisik, shalo yu, shalosh puranut, smuchot zudazu. And the Ramban says, we don't want three problems in a row. Because then they would have three in a row, which would be a chazaka and paranut. Then he says, According to the Ramban, what we're talking about here is not puranut, punishment, but rather chait, a sin, something they did wrong. He says, Over here, before Vayim and Soron, we don't see any punishment for running away from Har Sinai, for leaving. We just see that they did something wrong, but not that there was any punishment. says, There is a punishment. Punishment was that they would have gone into Eretz Yisrael immediately. This forestalls their entering into Eretz Yisrael. So by even so Aaron is placed there to separate between these three Puranut, and because of this, and then the subsequent two, that caused them to tarry and not enter into Eretz Yisrael right away. And then step by step leads to the Miraglim, which eventually will keep them in the Midbar for the 40 years and have them all die out. Both the Tosafot and the Ramban al Torah argue on Rashi's understanding of what the Puranut is here and what is Vayihib bin Soharon separating between. And the Ramban, the Shitato, is not likely to acquiesce to Rashi's explanation because the Ramban is a strong believer in Mukdamu Muhar Torah. Torah is written in order, unless it states otherwise. Unless it specifically gives you a date, it's written in order. In order to explain the way Rashi does, you'll kind of have to mix things up and switch around the Psukim, which the Ramban would be very reluctant to do because of his Shita, Mukdam Muhar Torah. The Torah is written in order. I have a small question. What is the Gemara first? So that would support Rashi's understanding. The way the Gemara asks it, much like you're saying, is that they first say, what's Puranshniya? And they say, Vayam Ikimitonanim. Then they say, what's Puranut Rishona? According to Rashi, that's really the Hitavut Ava, which is after Vayam Mitonanim, but they connect it to the puzzle of Vayisum Hashem. 
So that would actually be evidence to Rashi's understanding of the Pasuk, that the Purunut Rishonah was written, or is detailed, after the Purunut Shniyah. That is support for Rashi's understanding of it. The other reason would be, the reason they brought the second one first is because it's easy to understand what the Purunut was. Yeah. The second one, they have to give a drasha, which is that, which is not obvious what the first Puranut is, and that would be, I guess, the explanation of the Ramban and Tosafot. The margins of a Sefer Torah. Do you save the margins of a Sefer Torah? Or do you not save the margins of the Sefer Torah? Do they have a Kedusha? That's basically the question. Is there a Kedusha to the margins of the Sefer Torah? That's right. Sefer Torah, Shibbala. The Sefer Torah that's been worn down. If you could find in it 85 letters. The length of the Parsha Vayib bin Zoharon, which is what got us here, is that Vayib bin Zoharon is the smallest, quote-unquote, Parsha, or Parshiata in the Torah, and it involves 85 letters. So that's considered to be a significant safer. So if you find these 85 letters together and you can have a safer, that's enough to require you to be gonez the safer. So if you have that, metzalin. metzalin. So if that's the case, you would save it. If not, you wouldn't save it. Vamai. Why do you need these 85 letters? Should just simply because of the margins that are there. Umar says, okay, first of all, we're talking about the location on which you write, I have no question. The reason that the area where you write on the Sefer Torah is Kadosh is because you wrote on that area. So when the Ktav, when the writing disappears, so does the Kedusha. So it's clear the area where you write is only Kadosh because of the writing. If the writing is no longer there, there's no longer any Kedusha. The question is, Whether it's above, below, between the different columns, in between the Parshiot, all the empty space that was originally empty space. So then... What is the din there in terms of that gilyon? That gilyon was never made to be written on. Since it was never made to be written on, does it have a kedushah inherently because it's the margin of the Sefer Torah? Or maybe doesn't have any din of kedushah. Right, the rest or the rest of the Sefer is what we just saw here was erased. Say the rest of the Sefer has already been erased, so there's nothing in the middle, there's no tav left. The question is, does it have a residual kedusha because of the margins? Because we just established that if you erase the tav, then there is no kedusha left on the area of the tav. Does the margin itself create a kedusha? Right, so the Gemara rejected that understanding. The Gemara preempted that and said no, because in the area you wrote, we know the reason that has Kedusha, because you wrote there. So if you erase that, you've taken away the Kedusha. The Kedusha was imbued in it because of the writing. Right, but it has not supposed to have anything written on it. So that's the way the Gemara frames it. So it avoids that question by framing it that way. Gemara says, well, Seder, even if you set up the question this way, typically Mishum Dahau. What about the fact that in this case here, you're still looking for 85 letters in order to save it? Why don't you just say that the margins save it? Even if you're not talking about the erased part of the Sefer Torah, even if you're talking about the real margins around it, why don't we just say you can save it because of the margins? The fact that the bright that never looks for that as a reason shows you that the margins don't count. Where it says the guy is Vishwadi. This was a safer tour where the margins were already cut off. It had the margins cut off and all the writing was erased. So now they want to know, does it have Kedusha or not? you got to find these 85 letters. So it still doesn't answer our question. Tashma. Gilyonim shalmalav shalmatah 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 all the blank space in the Sefer Torah. Mitamim et Harkens back to the first parak in the Masechta with the Yudchet Varim, the 18 Gzerot that the Chamim made in terms of Tumah. 
One of those things that is metame etidaim is the sifrei kodesh. Sifrei kodesh metame etidaim because they didn't want them storing them with the truma. They used to put together with the truma. Problem was that the truma was getting eaten by or infested, eaten by pests, and then they were also eating the sifrei kodesh. So it enforced them to separate between the two. They made the sifrei kodesh metame etidaim because of that they wouldn't be able to put them together with the truma. So if they're mitamim etayidaim, so that's indicative of the fact that these margins do have kedusha. Here you have an explicit mishnah from yadaim that says that the margins are mitamei etayidaim. Well, they'll only be mitamei etayidaim if they have kedusha. It says, wait a minute, Dilma gav sefer Torah shining. So maybe over there it's different because in the case before we spoke in the brayta, we were speaking at a brayta where the sefer Torah was worn down or worn out. So there you could ask the question about the margins, but over here you have a full-fledged sefer Torah. And maybe the margins are only kadosh because you have a full-fledged Sefer Torah. We haven't clarified that point yet. It might be that when the Sefer Torah is intact, the margins are also kadosh. It might be when the Sefer Torah is not intact, or when there's a problem with the Sefer Torah, that the margins also lose their kadoshah. You have no proof from this Mishnah, except for the fact that when the Sefer Torah is intact, that the margins do have kadoshah. So Tashma, Agilyonim, Vesifreminim, Eimatzilinotam Ibn Adleka. Margins. And the Sfarim of the Minim, you may not save them from a fire. Now this Sifrei Minim is going to get uh, more interesting in the Gemara in a little bit. But Rashi over here interprets what is Sifrei Minim. Mishartim la'avodah People who serve avodah zarah. V'katvu lehen Torah nivim v'ktuvim. And they wrote for themselves a Tanakh. Katav ha-shirit kodesh. It's written like a proper Sefer Torah. Now Tosafot does take issue with that. He says, look, clearly if the men themselves wrote it, then it's not a good Sefer Torah. That clearly goes into it. What we're talking about here, it was written by a Jew, and then they used it, or they got it, in order to use for themselves. So these Sifrei Minim are not saved from the Tleika, and neither are the Gilyonim, which are these margins. Ela Nisravim Bim Koman. Hain Vaskarotem. They're burnt in place. Them and the Shemot Hashem. My love, what are these Gilyonim? Gilyonim the Sefer Torah. Where it says, lo, gilyonim de sifrei minim. It's the margins of these sifrei minim. I said, I don't understand it. Hashda sifrei minim gufayuin matzilim. You don't save their sefer Torah as a whole. Gilyonim boy. You have to tell me that you don't save the margins? Tzachi kamar. Besifrei minim harihen kilgilyonim. Sifrei minim have the same din as their margins, which is nothing. They don't do anything with them. Kufa. So let's investigate this. Hagilyonim besifrei minim eim matzilin otam ipnei adleika. Do not save them from the fire. Rabbi Yossi Omer Bechol, if it was a weekday, Huderetaz Karochaban, you have to carve out, cut out all the Shemot Hashem, Vigonzan, and put them into Gnizah, Vashar Sufam, and the rest you burn. Amri Rabbi Tarfon, Akapach et Banai, Akapach means I'll shorten the life of, I'll cut off, they will die, my children will pass away. I had an incident like this. I would not cut out the Shemot Hashem. I would burn the Sefer and the Shemot Hashem together with it. Even if it's being chased by someone to kill him under the threat of death. Or there's a Nachash, rats, the Haki show, snakes after him to bite him. Niknas, the Beta Vodazara. You can hide yourself in a Beta Vodazara. And you cannot go into the houses of these people, these people being the Minim. So better to go into the Beit HaBrezerah and then into the house of the Minim. Shalalu Makirim V'Kofrim. Because the Minim know what they're talking about and they are still Kofer. And they are aware, knowledgeable, and yet, despite that fact, they're Kofer Hashem and the Torah. Shalalu Makirim V'Kofrim. They are over there at Vodazerah, which is Masei Avutehem V'Yedehem. That's what the Gemara says in other places. They, they just follow. They have a Mesorah from their parents and that's how they worship. 
They don't really think about it so much. They're not actively, philosophically against the Torah. It just happens to be that this is the Mesorah that they got, so they continue the practices of their parents. So over there, we look at them as Lefitumam. They're doing it just out of the normal course of their life or their activities, and therefore we would run in there to hide. But these people, these minim, who are out to be negada Torah, there you cannot go into those areas to save yourself. Behind the door and the mezuzah, you put my memory. Meaning that they threw Hashem behind the door, like place where you put garbage or you put waste. They chucked Hashem over there behind the door. Says, ben when it comes to making peace between a husband and a wife, I'm Raturash Mishnich Tabik Dusha. My name that's written, Bik Dusha in holiness, Imache Alamayim, where you're raced in the water. We're talking about here, Mesota. So you erase the Shem Hashem and the Mesota in order to bring peace between a husband and wife. Halalo Shmatilim Kinav Evavatacharut Benisolavim Shibishamayim. These people that cause jealousy, hatred, competition between Israel and Hashem. Alchad Kama Kama, certainly there to burn their sfarim and erase the Shemot Hashem would be fine because it's saving the peace that should be between Hashem and B'nai Yisrael. And then David says, Hello, Misanecha Hashem Esna. Shem, those that hate you, Esna, I will hate. Ubit Komomecha Et Kotat. And those that rise up against you, I will take issue with. I will quarrel with. I hated them with that tremendous hatred, that full hatred. They were like enemies to me. David Amalek correlates between those that are enemies of B'nai Israel and those that are enemies of Hashem. Those that are out to cause problems with Hashem are also enemies of B'nai Israel. And therefore, put shalom between B'nai Israel and Avim Shabbat is also to eliminate those that are enemies that are causing problems for B'nai Israel or problems for Hashem. She'em she'em otan mi And then he continues, just like you don't save them from a fire. You don't save them from a landslide and not from water, a flood, or anything else that destroys them. Don't think this is just a unique din in Shabbat that we're afraid you're going to put out the fire. So we said don't save them from the fire. This is a general principle that any destructive force you do not save them from. They're found in Be'avidan. Do you save them or do not save them? In Vlav. He said yes, no. He didn't have a clear answer. Rabbi Bo was a little bit shaky on the answer and he never had a solid answer. Now, the Gemari tells stories about this. Rav, he did not go to Be'avidan. He refused to go there. And he refused, certainly, to go to Be'i Nitzrfei. Be'i Nitzrfei was a temple to the Persian fire god. There are others that want to say that Be'i Nitzrfei was the meeting place of the Nazarenes, the Jewish Christians, where local matters were discussed and religious debates were held. So that's a alternative view of of what Beit Nitzvah is, we're going to follow the interpretation that it was the Persian house of worship for the fire god. So over there, he refused to go there because it was a place of Vodizarah, so he refused to enter into that place. Be'avidan was known as a public, a cultural center, a debating area where all the different religions or all the different uh, movements would come and they would expouse their philosophies and they would have sfarim for each of the religions and it was an open forum to discuss these issues. So Rav would never go to either of them. He would not go to the Be'avidan where there was no Avodah Zarah. 
and then he would not go to Bay Nitzrfe. Shmuel, where the Bay Nitzrfe Azil, he would not go to the Makom Avodah the place of the Persian fire god, but he would Be'avidan Azil. He would go to this place of Be'avidan. I'm really the Rava. My time aloatid the Be'avidan. They were asking Rava, meaning that the non-Jewish authorities, well, to Rava, why didn't you come to Be'avidan? You're a leader of the Jews. You should be there to debate in these philosophical arguments. So I'm really, oh, he said Dikla Planya Ikeburcha. There's palm tree on the way, and it bothers me. There's palm tree on the way. I said no problem. Niakre, we'll get rid of the palm tree for you. He wasn't expecting that. He says, no, no, duchte kashali. Afterward, if you dig up the hole there, it'll be problematic for me too. Obviously, he gave an excuse why he didn't want to go there. But what was he afraid of? He was afraid of, he and Rav, who didn't go there, were afraid that they were going to kill them. That if they went there and they got into debates, they wouldn't have any mercy on them. Even if they won the debates, anything happened, they would have no mercy on them, they would get killed. <laughs> right, the Ramban got thrown out of Spain right after his debate. Barbara Yosef said, I don't mean Iwana. I'm friendly with these gentlemen over there. I'm from amongst them. Not literally from amongst them, but meaning that he was Mi'urav Babriot. He was friendly with them. And Velo Mistafina mean Iwana. Therefore, I'm not afraid of them. After saying that, Zimnechad Azil, he went there one time, Baldusukune. They wanted to kill him. The government brings that as evidence to the fact that nobody's safe over there in the Be'avidan. And that's why Rav and Rova stayed away from that location. They refused to go to the Be'avidan. So that's the story here. The Bay Nitzvah, everybody agrees you can't go there because there was a Zarah there. On the other hand, the Bay Abidan, which didn't involve directly a Zarah, but still was endangered to life, a place that involved Sakana, there, Rav and Rova refused to go there. Shmuel went there and so did Mar Yosef, but we see that even Mar Yosef got into trouble over there. But then we run into a problem here that the Gemara censor had a big eraser, came in and erased the next two lines in the Gemara. So now you're missing two lines in the Gemara, and then two lines read like this. Rabbi Meir Havakarile Avon Gilion. Rabbi Yochanan Havakarile Avon Gilion. So these are two lines that are missing from the Gemara, would actually make a lot of sense in the continuation of the Gemara. Gemara here entered into discussing these locations without really explaining what happened. They had these Sifrei de Be'avidan, which were these Farim, the Sifrei Torah that were found in Be'avidan, that they were used for the debates, or they were written for, to have all the religions, you know, Sifrei there. But then it gave no explanation to what happened. We have this, and then it drops off. The remainder here is something called, from the Greek word, the Greek word ongilion. word is probably pronounced evangelion. Evangelion from the word evangelical. The Greek word that's being used here is talking about the gospel, as it's known in English today. The Greek word ongilion we refer to the New Testament. And now, you have two tanaim here, making a play on the word of Ungilion, the New Testament. The New Testament involved both what is otherwise known as the Old Testament to them, and then the New Testament, which is that it had Sifrei Torah. There was a Sefer in there that included a Sefer Torah that should maybe otherwise be Kadosh. And that would explain the context in which this is written. The word Min, then also would be changed over here. Min is a word that is many times used by the Gemara or the censors to cover up for something else. The min obviously refers to here to not a min, but rather an alternative religion that they were arguing with that the censors would have liked to take out. And that would have been the explanation over here of this flow of the Gemara. And then we have a statement by Rabbi Meir. Rabbi Meir said, Karile, he played a play on the word of Ungulion. He would wrote, Aven Gulion. Aven is Rasha, something evil, something that is sown, bad accident that happened. Gulion. And then Rabbi Yochanan played on it in Karile, Avon, a Gilion with an ayin, the sin of the Gilion. 
So they're playing on the word that described, the Greek word that described the New Testament, evangelion, and they were speaking about it in a disparaging manner. And they're making a play on the word, breaking it down into two words of either evangelion or avonelion, meaning the empty book of sin or the empty book of evil or bad accident. This ended up getting eliminated by the censors, as well as the Rashi that commented on this as well, that was taken out by the censors. Then you have another story, a subsequent story, again, which probably connects back to this same context, but again, it has some fixes in it that eliminate any reference to alternate religions. Ema Shalom. Ema Shalom was the Bitu de Rabbi Eliezer. She was the wife of Rabbi Eliezer. Achate de Rabbi Gamliel, the sister of Rabbi Gamliel. Anyway, this comes up in a story when they put Rabbi Eliezer into Shamto, important that she was the sister of Rabbi Gamliel because she tried to protect Rabbi Gamliel from being killed or dying because of the pain that was caused to Rabbi Eliezer from putting him into Nidu, into excommunication. She would never let him say Tachnu. She would never let him say Tachnu, as Gemara and Babetzia. She prevented him from saying Tachnu because she knew if he said Tachnu that her brother would die. Rabbi Gamliel would die because he had caused this pain to Rabbi Eliezer by excommunicating him. As a side note that tells you the power of Tachanun, how powerful a tefillah it is, and maybe you shouldn't be so ready to skip it all the time. There's a tremendous power in terms of tefillah. What ended up happening is that one day she didn't know whether they were going to make it a two-day Rosh Chodesh, as we call it today, or one-day Rosh Chodesh, whether it was going to be a Mubar or not. She thought it was Rosh Chodesh, that he wouldn't be no Philippine. Turned out it wasn't Rosh Chodesh, it was no Philippine. And sure enough, Rabbi Gamliel died that day, first day that Rabbi Eliezer had said Tachanun. There was this philosopher in their neighborhood. So again, philosopher is an interesting term that's being used here. Rashi terms philosopher, he says, philosopha min. He calls it a min. That's already interesting. In other places, if you look in Abodazar, Rashi interprets philosophin, kuchme omot. Talks about the wise men of the other nations, which would be the interpretation of philosopher. And that's what Tosafot says. Tosafot says the Greek word philosophos is who dudachachma, means the source of wisdom. So they all recognize that the word philosoph should be meaning something of a wise man. Not something that's negative of sorts, but what seems clear, and from Rashi saying having a min in here, that there was a censorship of this section. And this section also had the word, whether it was min in it before, or it had, again, some other religion that was mentioned here. That what seems to be what transpired in this story. So it had this individual, that he used to publicize himself, that he was an honest judge, and he accepted no bribes. So, Rabbi Gamliel and his sister wanted to get a good laugh out of it. I don't think a laugh, but they wanted to prove it wasn't true that he didn't accept bribery. The sister of Rabbi Gamliel, Ima Shalom, brought him a golden candelabra. And then she came to adjudicate in front of him with her brother Rabbi Gamliel. I want to divide, I want to get my portion in the inheritance that's fallen from our father. Go ahead, split it. So he said back, Rabbi Gamliel interjects and says, that our Torah says that when there's a son, a daughter may not inherit. From the day that you were exiled from your land, not lead oraita de Moshe. The Torah of Moshe was eliminated. Now, Argmar says, Sifra Achriti. And another Sefer was brought. Obviously, there was a different Girsa in the Gemara, and the Girsa in the Gemara here was Avon Gilion. Again, the same play on the word. The On Gilion, 
Now they played this, again, this disparaging term of Avon Gilyon. The sin of Gilyon replaced the Torah Moshe. Uchtibbe, and written in it is, Bra Ubrata Kechada Yartun. That sons and daughters are equal in the face of inheritance. The Machar, Hadar, Ayole, Ihu, Chamra, Luba. The next day, Rabbi Gamil brought him a donkey, a Lubian donkey. So now they go back to continue the case. He says, Shvilet the Seifa. The Safra says at the tail end, the prologue to the Sifra. Again, the Sifra over here is a change in the Girsa from Avon Gilion. I didn't come to detract from the Torah Moshe. And the Girsa here should be Ella. I came to add on to the Sefer Torah Moshe. You can see that in the Mesorah Tashas. The older Sfarim have Ella. Or you can read it, both of them as in a negative term, which is, I didn't come to add, I didn't come to detract. From the Sefer Torah. You know, the Torah of Moshe says that daughters in the face of sons have no claim. Amrale, she says back to him, Nahor, Nahoreich, Yishraga. So Rashi interprets Nahor being like the Nahar, the river. The river's length is like that of a candlestick. Well, see, she was hinting to him about the candelabra that she'd given him as the bride. I think you'd also say, Nahor, Nahoreich, Yishraga, that your light is light like a candelabra, meaning that, what happened to my bride? Samrlei, Rabbi Gamaliel, Rabbi Gamaliel says to him, Atachamru, Batash, Tashraga. The donkey came and kicked over the candelabra. So they wanted to publicize the fact that this individual was not exactly a straight-laced, honest judge here, but they were bribing him and he was changing his mind. Every time he received a bribe, all of a sudden he found a new way to adjudicate the case in the favor of the one who bribed him. Okay, now we move back to our Mishnah. For what reason do we not read in the Tuvim on Shabbat afternoon? That's only true when the Beit Midrash is open. After the Beit Midrash is closed, then you can read in the Tuvim. Meaning that before they ate on Shabbat, they used to be in the Beit Midrash, they used to have the drush. After they ate, they didn't have a drush in the Beit Midrash because they were afraid of shikrut, of getting drunk. The problem that we always see with their meals, they drank wine, they drank alcoholic beverages. So after that, they don't let them duchen, the kohanim don't duchen at mincha time. They didn't give drashot because they were afraid after they drank the wine that they would not be in proper state to give the drasha. So before the drasha, then there's a restriction against reading Ktuvim because you have bitul beit midrash. They read the Ktuvim, they're not going to show up to the drasha. After the meal, where nobody, the Beit Midrash isn't open anyway, there they don't have any problem with you reading Tuvim. But Shmuel Amar, Afilu Shlob is Beit Midrash in Kurim. Even after the meal, you can't read the Tuvim. Ini, is that really true? But Narda, by Narda, it's read the Shmuel, which was the city of Shmuel. Ava, with Narda, Piske, Sidra, Biktuvim, Minchat, Shabto. They used to read the Tuvim on the afternoon of Shabbat. They used to read from the Tuvim publicly. In the shul on the afternoon of Shabbat, go back to Daf Chovdalit Amud Aleph. Over there, Tosafot quotes this Gemara. And you can see here the Sunnah Shas is also quoting. He says, "I know Haftorah." There was Haftorah at Mincha time on Shabbat, and Haftorah Mincha time was from the Tuvim. Opposed to our Haftorah, we have Haftorah Shacharit, which is from the Nevi'im. That Haftorah from the Leni at Mincha time that was from the Tuvim, and that's what this is referencing. That they had this Haftorah at Mincha time that they read from the Tuvim. So now Gemara has to reinterpret or amend the makhluk between Rav and Shmuel. If you want to say their argument or state their argument, it should be this way. Amar Rav lo shanu elu b'makom beit midrash. That's in the beit midrash. If you're not in the Beit HaMidrash, then you can read it. In the case where you're sitting there and the Chacham is Doresh, then you can't be reading the Ketuvim, because that's going to distract you from listening to the Drasha of the Ravs. You know, all those papers that they give out in Shul, and everybody's reading them while the Ravs giving the Drasha. So that's a problem. So we don't want you doing that. 
But if you're not in the Beit Midrash, then you're not listening to the Rav anyway, so then we don't worry about it. On the other hand, Shmuel Amar, Ben B'makom Beit Midrash, Ben Shalom B'makom Beit Midrash. Whether you're in or out of the Beit Midrash, it's a problem, because if you're outside the Beit Midrash and you're reading it, you're not going to come to the Beit Midrash. Aval, Zman Beit Midrash, in Korim, Shalom B'zman Beit Midrash, Korim. When it's the time of the Drasha, you're not allowed to read it. When it's not time of the Drasha, then you're allowed to read it. So Shmuel still says, depends what time of day it is. If it's a time that it's against the drasha, then we say no, because you're supposed to be at the drasha. If it's after that time, then it's fine. That after the time when the drasha, late in the afternoon, when they had mincha and they leaned, then they also had this Torah from the Ketuvim, and that was fine, because at that point in time, there was no drasha. So that was why it was permissible to have that. No, go back to the original way we stated. Shmuel and Shmuel is not explaining his own shita, rather explain the shita of Rebbe Nechemia, the Tanya. Even though they said you're not allowed to read in the Kitvi Behen, you're allowed to learn, let's say, you're allowed to delve into them and be Doresh in them. Rashi over here says that Shonim Bahen means that you're allowed to learn Migdrash, Shira Shirim, Bikohelet, Midrash Rabbah that's associated with them. Nitzrach the Pasuk, if he needs to read a Pasuk, Mevivro Ebo, and he can take him out and read from them a Pasuk. There's no real restriction against him. What's the reason you're not allowed to read in the Kitvei Kodesh in Shabbat? Until now we thought the reason was Mipnei Bito Beita Midrash. Amnechenia says a different reason, because Kedei Shiyomru Bikitvei Kodesh Ein Korim Koshke Mishtare Hedjiotot. If you're not allowed to read even the holy books of the Tanakh on Shabbat, certainly you can't read the, right, the newspapers. Rashi over here gives two things. He says, right, you're counting ledgers, you can't read. Or letters that are sent that are looking for something for an object. So Rashi says both of those are surim. Tosafo takes issue with that. He speaks about these letters a lot. He says, first of all, he says, Nira read the Lokari Shtari Hejotot, El Shtari Chuvot. One thing that's called the Shtari Hejot is a obligation, meaning that something has to do with business matters. Avali, growth Shari, to read letters is Mutar. And the Pamim, listen to this, Sheesh Behem Bikuach Nefesh. Sometimes there are life and death matters inside of these letters, and you need to open the letters because you need to be able to read them and find out. Fafilio Deash Embo Bikuach Nefesh. What happens if you know that it's not a life and death matter? Matir Rabbeinu Tam. Says Rameinu Tam said it was fine. Chen Mashma Yerushalmi, and he says the same thing is true in the Yerushalmi that only Chovot and Shtarot Mekachumemkar are problematic. But to read letters, first of all, sometimes there is Pikuach Nefesh in them, and if there's not Pikuach Nefesh in them, maybe there's a Tzorach Kodol. But they're not called Shtari Hejotot. They're not a problem because it's not going to involve you in business matters. So he lets you read the letters. Then he writes at the end, which is very interesting. These stories about battles and the wars that are written in Laz, call it Ashkenaz, they're German or French, whatever foreign language that they are written in. You can't read them on Shabbat. And then he makes a comment. Says even on a weekday, I don't know who let these people read them. It's like sitting around and Idle chatter. says, I don't know, these books about the battles and the wars, I don't know what he's referring to necessarily. I don't know if he's referring to things that are non-fiction or fiction. It's not clear to me what he's referring to over here, but here he talks about that these types of secular books are not necessarily appropriate to be read on Shabbat. And that's included under this restriction of Shtarei Hejotot. So things that are neutral, like letters, 
which are fine to read on, Shabbat, that's fine, but business matters and business documents are not appropriate to engage in them on Shabbat, and that would also make them muksim, because they're inappropriate to be used on Shabbat, that would also make them muksim to move them around. So now, explaining Shmuel's position, what the Gemara is saying here is that Shmuel agrees to Rav. Shmuel agrees with Rav that the problem here is Bitul Beit Midrash, and Bitul Beit Midrash is only before you eat, after you eat, there's no Bitul Beit Midrash. Then why did Shmuel say, even after the Beit Midrash, even after they left the Beit Midrash and they went to eat, that you still can't read the Ketuvim? He was espousing the view of Rabbi Nechemia. Rabbi Nechemia who says the reason has nothing to do with Bitul Beit Midrash, but rather because of Shtari Hejotot. The Shari Hejotot is the Kalvachoma you learn. If you can't read Ketuvim Kodesh, then you certainly can't read these other items. That applies all day on Shabbat. That's not something that's unique to when the Drush is, when not the Drush is. Shmuel was just bringing us that opinion of Rabbi Nechemia, but he doesn't necessarily subscribe to it. It's not his opinion. He holds like Rav, and that's why in his Beit Midrash, they read the Ketuvim late in the day. They had a Torah from the Ketuvim because he believed the problem was because of Bito Beit HaMidrash. Right next, Mishnah. Matzilim Tika Sefer Ima Sefer. You're allowed to save the cover, the mantle of the Sefer, along with the Sefer itself. Vatika Tfilin Ima Tfilin. You're allowed to save the Tfilin bag along with the Tfilin. Now the more important thing is not the bag itself, but Alpha Pi Sheesh Bitochan Ma'ot. The issue here is that what happens if there's money in the bag or something that's muksa or something that's not useful or allowed to be carried on Shabbat that's in the cover along with the davar davar kadosh that you're saving. Right, but here we allow you to save them because otherwise you're going to have the film be burnt up. We give you a dispensation to save them because the person will be bow and mono, and if we don't let you save them, he's going to put out the fire. So we allow him to take out the Seferi Kodesh. So now, once we've given that dispensation, we now say you can take out the covers with them. But what happens if the covers also have money in them? The answer is, you can take them in one shot, and you can take them out. To where can you take these objects? So here it says to a, a roadway that is not Mifulash. means that it's stopped on three sides. There's only an opening to shoot Rabim on the fourth side. So on that fourth side, we force you to put up a lechi and a Korah and to do shituf mivaot in order to allow you to carry there. But Midoraita, this would be a Rishuti Yafid, and we allow you to carry in there and violate the Dindar Rabbanan because of the circumstances. They waive the Dindar Rabbanan. But, Le Mavuyah no, you can't go into an open area, which means that only two sides are blocked in. Two ends are open. Two ends are open to Rishut Rabim. There you can't do it. Ben Betera Omer, Afla Mifulash. Ben Betera says you can even take it into this open roadway and Shabbat. Right, for sure you can't take it. That's a Malacha. That's a total Malacha. The dispensations here are only to violate Dine de Rabbanan, not to violate Dine de Oraita. Tan Rabbanan. Arbasar Shekhaliot Bishabbat. 14th falls out on Shabbat. The 14th, obviously, we're talking about here is the 14th of Nisan, which is Erev Pesach. So Erev Pesach falls out on Shabbat. And now, Mavshitin et Pesach at the Chazer. You have a problem, because you're not allowed to do Melocha on Shabbat. Karvan Pesach is Dochet the Shabbat. So you do Shechita, and then you have to flay the animal. You have to get the skins off to get out the fats to put on the Mizbeach for the Korbana Pesach. So the Tanakam says you can do, they have Sheik Adah Chazer, until the area of the chest until it clears the area where you need to get the fats out. You can do the whole thing. So the Chachamim say you can remove the skin entirely, you can flay the animal entirely. Whereas Rabbi Ishmael, no, Rabbi Yochanan ben Broka says you can only flay to the point where it gives you access to the fats on the inside that you're going to put on the Mizbeach. He's practical. He says you can't do more Melacha than is necessary on Shabbat. On a weekday, you would flay the whole thing because you want to keep the skins. The skins are valuable, and you can use them afterwards. On Shabbat, we're not going to let you do that because it's a violation of Shabbat. Now, if it's a violation of Shabbat for the purpose of Korban Pesach, that's fine. But a violation of Shabbat for your own personal benefit that you're going to cut the skins off, that we're not going to let you do. Bishma, mother of Bishma, 
We understand what you could do for Hashem, that's fine on Shabbat. That's Dochet Shabbat. So you can flay the animal until the chest area, so you can get out the fats that go on the Mizbech. What's the reason behind the Rabbanon? Pazuk says in Mishlei, Everything that you do is for Hashem. What are you doing for Hashem here when you skin the entire animal, when you flay the entire animal, what are you doing for Hashem? If you leave it wrapped in the skin, it's going to cause the insides of the animal to heat up, and it'll go bad. They shouldn't be strewn on the floor like a nevela, an animal that was killed where they just leave it, like roadkill, left out on the floor here with the skin on it and stuff like that. Proper ways to give kavod and to remove the skins and to make it look like it's something that is desirable. What's an afkamina between these two reasons? It's placed on a golden table. Golden table, you don't have a problem of bizayon anymore, but you do have a problem of it heating up and being masriach. On a day that is cooler, Istana Rashi says it's the day of the northern wind, even though the southern wind is the coldest wind. Decide that back when they had a northern wind that makes it cool. So on a day that is cool, then you have to worry about Masriach, but you do have to worry about the problem of Bizayom. What does he do with that Pasuk? The fact that you need to take care of it. He says, You don't just go stick your hand in there and grab out the fats. You actually take off the skin until that point in order to take out the fats. My time up. What's the Kopal Hashem on that? Because of the hairs or the wool that get caught in it. If you just ripped it out or you pulled it out, it would get caught on the hairs or the wool and it would be ruined the fats that are going to be put on the Mizbeach. So in order to prevent that, they opened it up. Amar of Hista, Amar Marukva, Ma Hajulei, Chavrayo, the Rabbi Shmuel Benosh, Rabbi Yochanan Mimbroka. What did the Chachamim answer to his position? If you can save the cover of the Sefer with the Sefer, can we flay the Pesach entirely? So here we have the reason why this is all brought here. Otherwise, what did it have to do with our Gemara? The Gemara brought it here because it's a proof from our Mishnah. Midomi, the Gemara says, I can compare them. Over there in our Mishnah, we're talking about an Iser Drabanan of Tiltul. So over there, there's a dispensation for the Tika Sefer along with the Sefer. We're talking about a full-fledged Malacha. Flaying the animal on Shabbat, Hefshet is one of the 39 melachot. So I'm Ravashi, Bittarte, Plige. They argue on two issues. Plige bitiltu, or Plige bitmelacha. They argue about both of these issues. One is that they argue about this issue of tiltu, and they also argue about this issue of melacha, whether this Hefshet is classified as melacha over here. And then they say, Vachik Amrule, and that's what they said to him, and Tilim Tika Sefer, Masefer, Lonetadelogor, Agav Basar. If you can save the cover of the safer along with the safer, certainly we should be able to take the skin along with the flesh. Right? The Gemara here continues. I'm going to stop only because it's going to go half the way through the Amud tomorrow. A question about what exactly is considered buses the Davarasur, buses the Mutar. They involve sugya that's very important in terms of Dine Muksa. So we'll continue with that tomorrow.